Good evening, church. Sometimes my little brain starts just turning a little bit. And I was just thinking, like, as we're singing the psalm, Be With Me, Lord, the thought that today, throughout this day, and into the evening for us, which is the other time zone for others, that God has been worshipped and glorified, and that He could receive all the worship at the same time. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Just a little brain starts to work and go, wow, God is so big and so amazing. It is great to have you here tonight, both members and visitors. Let's go to God in prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, hallowed be your great and amazing name. You are truly amazing and impressive. And Lord God, we, we glorify Thee. Please bless us tonight to keep our minds in worship, in the worship of You, our omnipotent and holy God. Help us to remember Jesus. Bless us, Lord God, to never, ever forget. It's in Jesus' wonderful name we pray. And thank Thee, if it be Thy will. Amen. Tonight we're looking at Matthew, the tax collector, but we'll take a quick side journey to James, the son of Alphaeus. So we'll get through all these apostles. I'm just, uh, there's some fascinating things I wanted to bring to your attention as you look at the apostles. So we're going to Mark chapter 15, right to the actual um, death of Jesus. And we find this name, it's only mentioned twice in the Bible. Uh, and it's Mark, the James, the son of Alphaeus. He's mentioned only in the naming of the apostles, and that's really just about it. The Bible says in Mark 15 and verse 40, And there were also some women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the Less, and Joseph and Salome. And so, Salome rather. And so you look at this and you go, well, James the Less. That's it. Mark 3, please, and verse 18. Mark 3 and verse 18. James the son, or James the less, if you will, is also a son of Alphaeus. And we look at Mark 3 and verse 18. It's speaking of the apostles being named. And Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the zealot. That's all I have for you. Tradition says, that James was stoned to death by the Jews. Matthew, the tax collector. Isn't that a short sermon? We don't add, we don't take away. That's all God wanted us to know. Matthew 18, please. So tax collectors were hated in biblical times and were regarded as sinners. And I want to talk about that uh, in the introduction, if you will, to Matthew even the Jewish tax collectors, um, they worked for the Romans. And to the Jews, they were, they were you know, traitors, if you will, right? You know, like they, they turned uh, the, other, the other hat. They, they switched sides. They switched teams. And in verse 17, even Jesus in his illustration regarding uh, the discipline of, of the saints, so how to deal with issues within the church, he says in verse 17, he says, and if he refuses to listen to them, so you go to the 
privately and then go with two people with you. And then if you refuse to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if you refuse to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax gatherer, a, a publican. That's a lot to be said about the tax collectors, right? Uh, to be looked at and in, to be viewed in that way. Tax collectors in general were, this is what they truly were. They were evil. They were, they were greedy. Uh, they were corrupt. And they charged people uh, enormous amounts, way more than what was actually due to the government. I'm going to get back into that in a second. So people resented paying their taxes especially to a foreign nation who ruled over them. And so if you think about even today, you know, when tax season comes, we're like, oh, right? Even we have that feeling. But imagine a government that, imagine the Roman government that uh, they, they, just, they just rip people uh, off continuously. So just, just quickly, Romans uh, 13. So Jesus, by way of inspiration, says through the Apostle Paul, even to them, you know, who are being persecuted and treated uh, terribly by the Roman government, he said to them in verse 5, Wherefore it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this you also pay taxes, for rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due, tax to whom tax is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. So there was an instruction. Turn to Mark 12, please. Given to the people of God then, which also applies to us today, you got to pay your taxes. But God, don't you see what they're doing? Yes, I know what they're doing, but you still have to pay your taxes. Mark 12 and verse 15. Shall we pay or shall we not pay? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said to them, Why are you testing me? Bring me a Daenerys to look at. And they brought one, and he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and the God the things that are God's. And they were amazed at him. And so there was an actual teaching. There was time spent on helping the Jews to recognize that they had a responsibility even to their corrupt government. Look at Mark chapter 2. Well, within that corrupt government, or a part of that corrupt government, was this apostle named Matthew. Matthew the tax collector. Verse 14, the Bible says, And he, as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. So, you think about Peter and Andrew, they immediately dropped their nets and followed Jesus, well, Matthew did the exact same thing. Yeah, but Matthew's a tax collector. And by the way, the son of Alphaeus that you notice uh, given to James, the son of Alphaeus, and Matthew, the son of Alphaeus, they may not necessarily be related. The tax collectors were paid a little differently, and this is the problem. They were given a, an amount to go and collect from each person. And then the way they were paid is whatever they took above that amount belonged to them. And there was no cap. They could take as much as they wanted above the amount that they were owed 
or owed to the Roman government and keep it for themselves or as little. It was, it was totally up to them. So now you've got a problem, and the problem is many or most tax collectors in that day were dishonest. And what a great system to be dishonest in or with. So turn to Luke chapter 19. So why in the world, I'm going to ask this question once and then maybe a couple of additional times, why would God choose Matthew, a tax collector, a man who's despised, obviously, by, by all, except, except for the Romans, if you will? Luke 19, verse 5. Remember Zacchaeus? So here he is. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. And when they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be with the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. So a question might come up, how rich was Zacchaeus? And how did he gain his riches? And keep in mind that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. He worked his way up through the ranks. And so he says, I have enough money or resources to not only give up half my resources or half of all that I own, but I'll pay people back four times as much. Tax collector. God even talks to the audience, if you will. And he says, look at Luke chapter 3 regarding tax collectors. He gives them instruction of what they're supposed to do by way of inspiration. Now, speaking through John, uh, Luke chapter 3 and verse 12, some tax gatherers also came to be baptized, and they said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? John. And he said to them, Collect no more than what you have been ordered And so you can see the problem with tax collectors. And then there's Matthew. Matthew, please, chapter 19. Were all tax collectors dishonest? Well, you know, um, if in all fairness, if you had a letter received or received a letter from the IRS saying that you're going to be audited, what do you automatically think? First of all, this is not going to be fun. Secondly, are they going to rip? I mean, there's nothing really good that comes out of that letter in our own minds, right? And so now Jesus walks along and he sees Matthew, the tax collector. Was Matthew an honest tax collector or a dishonest tax collector? It doesn't matter. He has the reputation that all tax collectors have. He's Matthew, the tax collector. Matthew 9. He's not poor in verse 9. The Bible says, And as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. When when Matthew, the tax collector, met Jesus, though he had an obligation to the Roman government, this is important, He had an obligation to the Roman government. He walked away from the Roman government to follow Jesus. That says a lot, right? 
I don't know what the ramifications are for that to just to just drop your taxes, to just drop the, the responsibility that you have toward the Roman government and follow Jesus. There must have been something that he must have faced one day. I don't know that to be true. But listen to verse 10. And it happened that as he was reclining at the table in the house, speaking of Matthew's house, behold, many tax gatherers and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. So imagine Matthew called other tax gatherers, publicans, tax collectors, and said, hey, I'm holding a feast for Jesus. Come and meet Jesus. And they came. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why is your teacher eating with tax gatherers and sinners? Why is he eating with Matthew? Right? Verse 12. But when he heard this, he said, it is not those who are healthy. Oh, I'm starting to get the message now. Who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. When you look at Matthew, the tax gatherer, you're looking into the mirror of yourself. Think about that. A spiritually sick individual who can only be helped by God. And Jesus says, when they ask the question, why are you eating with that tax gatherer and those sinners? Jesus could have come back and said, you're looking in the mirror at yourself. That's who you are. You people are sick. And the only one who can help you is me. And there's no other. So imagine our condition, our condition outside of Christ, that, that we were a people who were, without God, a people who could not possibly help ourselves for our sins were too great for us to rescue ourselves. Only God could rescue us from our sinful ways. So Matthew had to have strong faith to walk away from the Roman government, right? I mean, what did he owe them? I mean, I don't know, right? The Bible doesn't even tell us the things that he may have had to work out. But he had to have a strong faith because here's something else that I want us to get from Matthew. How did the brethren look at Matthew the tax collector when he began to follow Jesus? Had he collected from Peter before? Or John? Or James? Or one of the other apostles? Had he collected from their relatives? They had to know who he was. Matthew was a very prominent tax collector or publican, as mentioned in the Bible. How did, how did he reconcile? How did he find himself in the midst of these people? How did he feel? Right? How did he feel in, in their midst? And they saw him as a sinner. How did he see himself? As a rescued sinner? Or just as A sinner, listen, this is what's important. Let me tell you something. This is so real for us. You know how some members come to the body of Christ and they're not always received too well, especially if we know their past reputation? Matthew, how are we going to treat that person when they come to Christ, when they have a past reputation, true or false, it doesn't matter, they have a past reputation, how will we receive 
that individual? Well, we remember that we're looking into the mirror of self. When that individual comes to Christ, think about that for just a moment. What if a known prostitute comes into this building and she wants to give her life to Jesus and she stays with the church for until the day that she leaves this earth? How will we view her from day one until the end? How will we treat her? How will some wives treat her when she's maybe uh, talking kindly to one of their husbands? How will we respect her? How will we view that person, a sinner? Forgiveness is important. And I want you to think about this. Can we forgive a tax collector? Or, if I could put it in our terms, please, can we forgive one who has lived a lifestyle that we disdain? Think about that. Matthew is that reflection. We can look and we can think about that. Matthew chapter 18, please. Matthew chapter 18. So there's this question that comes up regarding forgiveness. Now, right around, it may may not surround itself around Matthew, but just think for a moment at the question that's being asked. Verse 21. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. I'm not saying this is Matthew, but think how that could easily fit, right? He comes every year to collect the money from Rome for Rome. Up to seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Matthew serves as a great lesson for all Christians. Because what if he were the tax collector for us? And what if he came year after year to collect the taxes for the government and then he came to Christ, how would we treat him when he came to the body, when he came to worship, when he called us up just to say hi, you immediately think it's some kind of tax call, right? How would we see him? How would we treat him? His faith was strong. Matthew 21, please, and verse 28. Matthew 21 and verse 28. Think about just this, this passage for a moment. But what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in the vineyard. And he answered and said, I will, sir. And he did not go. And he came to the second and said the same thing. But he answered and said, I will not. Yet he afterward regretted it and went. Which of the two did the will of his father? And they said, The latter. And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you that the tax gatherers and harlots will get into the kingdom of God before you. So imagine for just a moment the difference between the tax gatherer, Matthew, and the Jews at that time. Some of the Jews, should I say. Matthew repented of his sins. But many of the Jews did not. Again, he's a great reflection looking right into the mirror of self. Jesus, Luke 15, uses an example regarding the um, the prodigal, and he, he brings to our attention the sinners and the tax gatherers. In Luke 15, beginning at verse 1, now all the tax gatherers and the sinners were coming near to listen to him. Here's the difference. When they listen, they listen without judgment. When the Jews, the Pharisees, the scribes listen, they listen to catch Jesus in what he said. There's a very big difference in the sincerity of the two. He goes on to say, And both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners 
and eats with them. Instead of listening to the message of God, the, the, the Pharisees and the scribes were the judges of the world. And when they became judgmental, God had a whole parable specifically for them. How do we see people that we disdain who become members of the Lord's church? That's a very powerful question for us to think about. What it ought to be is this. A liar is just as bad as any other sinner, even a murderer, in the eyes of God. Regardless, no sin can be cured or fixed without the blood of Jesus Christ. Next question. Then we'll wrap this up. For the individual who comes, who feels kind of out of place and not so welcome in the body, what do you do when you are singled out and shunned by the brethren? Because that's Matthew's description. He was singled out as a tax gatherer, not necessarily knowing that whether he was honest or not, but he was singled out by the brethren, and if you will, kind of ostracized, kind of like we didn't go over and talk to that guy. Think about, if you will, Sometimes when people come to the church, and I, I know it's a natural progression. We get up, we turn around, we talk to people we've always talked to. But sometimes, oftentimes, people come to visit, and they get out of those doors without us grabbing them and saying, Hi, thank you for coming. Welcome. We don't make them feel welcome, right? The church, I mean, in general, we can't be guilty of that, brethren. We have to take the time every Sunday and Wednesday to recognize people that we haven't recognized. And go and say hello and greet them and thank them for coming to worship with us and with God. But to the brethren, what do you do when you're singled out and shunned by the brethren? Luke 18. Let me give you a great example of being singled out. Matthew being singled out. Verse 9. He also told this parable to certain ones who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax gatherer. And the Pharisee stood and was praying thus to himself, God, I thank thee that I'm not like other people. You know, Matthew. Uh, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, even like, even like this guy, right? this tax gatherer. I fast twice a week. I, pray, I pay tithes of all that I get. But, but the tax gatherer, Matthew, I know this isn't specifically Matthew, but get the point. But the tax gatherer, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled, but he who humbles himself shall be exalted. And so the answer, the first answer is, how do you deal with this when you're ostracized, when you're singled out, when you're shunned by the brethren? Stay humble to God. Stay humble towards God. And stay in prayer. Number two, Hebrews chapter two. Be willing to face the ridicule of others. Sometimes that comes from our friends, right? In our family, maybe you've come to Christ from uh, from the world, right, or from another you know, denomination, and you come to Christ, and maybe there's some um, 
uh, ostracization that happened, whatever it may be, be willing to be ridiculed for the cause of Christ and recognize that actually there's a blessing in that. Matthew 5, the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are you when you're persecuted, when people cast insults at you for my name's sake. Re- recognize there's a blessing in that. God chose Matthew for a divine reason. What do you do? Number three, keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Because that's why you're actually here. You know, we're not here for each other. We're here for God, right? That's our primary reason for being here. If we all walked into these doors and recognized, I'm here for God, we would treat everyone with love and compassion. Because I'm here for God. God is present with us, right? So you who may feel ostracized or maybe you don't feel like you're a part, keep your focus on God. Hebrews 2 verse 1. The Bible says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. That that idea is continually gazing upon Jesus, right? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the Father or the throne of God. Thank God for that. Number four, Philippians 4. Take all that heartache to Jesus in prayer. Take it all to Jesus in prayer and let God work it out in your heart and in your mind. Verse 6, the Bible says, Be anxious for nothing... But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, which, you got to love this, right? Here's the part that we don't understand, right? No one can understand it. No one can explain it to me because none of us are smart enough because God hid it from us, but God gives it as a gift because it surpasses all understanding, right? Listen to it. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I see that passage as being a passage of peace in the midst of chaos, right? I'm in the midst of a chaotic situation or a chaotic world, and somehow, someway, Psalm 23, I can sit down at the table and enjoy my meal because God is with me. Peace that surpasses all comprehension. Be at peace and take it always to God. And then why did God choose? Turn to Matthew 5, please. Why did God choose a a tax collector? Why did God choose Matthew? Well, Matthew 5 and verse 44. But I say to you, love your enemies. Matthew was an enemy of the Jews. He wasn't really an enemy, right? He was an enemy or a collector of the mighty dollar that made folks. He was an enemy, though. They saw him as an enemy. So imagine Matthew amongst amongst the brethren, amongst the apostles, amongst the disciples. And then Jesus says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, in order that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? 
Do not even the tax gatherers do the same? As you greet your brothers only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you ought to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. It's a good test to love my enemy or someone who was viewed as my enemy and now he's a Christian. At first it was Paul, right? Matthew. How is my love toward those who might be viewed as my enemy? Jesus says, to love those who love you, I mean, that's a good thing, but anybody can do that. Can you love your enemy? What a great question. You can look right at Matthew, who just collected taxes from you this year, and now he wants to come to Jesus, and you say, God, him? Why would you choose him over me? Him? <laughs> Look at the reflection in the mirror of self. And finally, Matthew. Why did God choose Matthew over, I don't know, whomever else it might be? The Bible says clearly in Acts chapter 10 and verse 13 that God doesn't show partiality, does he? Verse 13 says, and a voice came to him, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. And again a voice came to him a second time, What God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. Matthew was cleansed. Just like you and I. You can't look at him that way. You can't look at that woman I described earlier that way. We can't look at the saints that way because they have been cleansed just like I have been cleansed. No different, no better, no worse. But all of us were in a position to where we can only be rescued by God and God alone. And how is that? Through the waters of baptism. We hear the Word of God. We believe it. We have godly sorrow in our hearts. The way we lived our lives contrary to the will of God. We confess His name. We're baptized, immersed in water. And somewhere in there we touch the blood of Jesus. We receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We die to the old man. We're resurrected new. And then we walk with Jesus until the day we leave this, this earth. Also, if we're walking with Jesus and we find that there's sin in our lives, guess what, church? That's all of us. We repent. We can only be rescued by God. We're all rescued in the same way. He preached for 15 years in Palestine, tradition says. Ethiopia, Macedonia, Syria, Persia, Parthia, and Media. Tradition tells us that he was killed by this, this axe head type it's a combination of, of a spear and a battle axe, if you've seen one of those before. He was killed preaching the message of Jesus. But wait, I thought he was a sinner. He was a man of God like the rest of us. Tonight the lesson is yours. I hope something was said to encourage you to look at these apostles in a very different way and think about the necessity 
of each man that God chose. If we can help you tonight in any way, please come while together we stand and sing our song of invitation.